This week on Wealth Track, part two of our interview with influential and refreshingly candid economist and strategist David Rosenberg on why nothing is normal in the markets right now. Yeah, who are the buyers? And a normal rally, you have flows you can identify. But this is a short covering rally. And on top of that, there's no sellers. People are just too scared to sell stock. And I think it comes down to what you said. You know, when you hear over and over again, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. When people see, oh, well, the Fed has actually went in and said they're going to buy high yield bonds. Right. Well, high yield bonds reside right next to the equity market and the capital structures. Independent thinker Dave Rosenberg joins us this week on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Miller Value Funds, Royce and Associates, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, Strategus Asset Management, and Eaton Vance. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. One of the striking financial characteristics of this pandemic-stricken world is the extreme divergence between the sickening economic reality on the ground and the out-of-this-world exuberance in the stock market. How to reconcile one of the highest unemployment rates since the Great Depression with the biggest 50-day post-bear market rally in the S&P 500's history. In part two of our interview with widely followed economist David Rosenberg, he says they are not reconcilable and something has to give. In his case, he has been warning of both the stock market and economy's vulnerabilities long before COVID-19 appeared on the scene. David Rosenberg is president, chief economist and strategist at Rosenberg Research and Associates, his independent global economic research and market strategy firm, launched earlier this year former chief economist and strategist at Gluskin Chef for 10 years and chief North American economist at Bank America Merrill Lynch before that, his daily Breakfast with Dave newsletter is considered a must-read by retail and institutional investors alike. Once Rosenberg has done his homework and is confident enough in his case, he is not afraid to make a call no matter how out of consensus it is. His bearish call in the midst of a bull market has earned him a reputation as a perma-bear, which led him to publish a letter from the non-bearish chief economist recently. However, despite the market's impressive performance since the March lows, he remains bearish, calling the experience a classic bear market rally. I asked him why. You know, we had the vertical down. We got dramatically oversold between mid-February and mid-March. Uh, since that time, you know, has the rally been premised on anything fundamental? No, it's really been premised on uh, unprecedented Fed incursions into the marketplace. Buying high-yield ETFs uh, is a very big step. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of faith based uh, on vaccine hopes that are driving the market as well. But this is the nature of the markets. Uh, whenever we have a bear market, we have an initial massive leg down. Uh, we have the reflexive rebound, which is what we're in right now, and it's very powerful. And then we have the long and drawn out decline to the fundamental lows. And so that, for example, is exactly what happened in, for example, 2001, 2002, 2008, 2009. Uh, we had a rally off the lows in uh, November of 1929. November 19 Most people don't know this. From November 1929 uh, to April 1930, the stock market ripped 50% after that initial plunge. And it lured so many people thinking that, you know, we're gonna be having stimulus and uh, we're past the worst part of the shock. Um, but people didn't factor into the fact that the shock 
produced a fundamental change in behavior. And the economy actually went in for another two years of distress. And that's not what's priced in right now. If you believe that a vaccine is coming around the corner, the market's telling you that's what it expects. Uh, I'm I'm skeptical about that view. And I think that, uh, you know, once we realize that the economy is not going to embark on some V-shaped, V stands for vaccine, V vaccine-shaped recovery, uh, I think we're going to give up a lot of these gains. We're actually trading in a multiple that represents market peaks. This is not the sort of multiple you get coming into a new bull market. You know, there's a famous saying on Wall Street, do not fight the Fed. Uh, And, you know, the trend is your friend. What about those forces that are so incredibly historically strong right now? Right. Let me give you an example. Uh, You know, back uh, after 9-11, after 9-11, the Fed cut rates dramatically. I mean, the market was closed for a few days. We had the plunge. And then once again, from November of uh, 2001 into March, April 2002, you know, at the time, it seems like it's going to last forever. These are like three, four, five-month periods. The market soared on everything you're talking about. And the Fed cut mm-hmm. rates dramatically. And all I heard back in the opening months of 2002 was don't fight the Fed. Well, then how come the market didn't bottom until the fall of 2002? Or, for example, let's go back to 0809. The Fed was easing the whole way through. After Lehman collapsed, the Fed went wild on its accommodative policy. And after the plunge down in September into October of 2008, the market ripped into January of 09, went up 30%. And once again, don't fight the Fed. Well, don't fight the Fed, but then the market kept went down again and had a pernicious decline into the March lows. And every bear market ends, every bull market ends, it's just the nature of the cycle. I got news for you, the Fed isn't God. The Fed could certainly provide liquidity, uh, but the Fed cannot influence what is going to be the primary risk going forward, especially if we don't get a vaccine, which is going to be corporate insolvency. And we haven't seen all the bankruptcies. And let's talk about that. So let's talk about the fundamentals because we're talking about stimulus, which is here to go, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. Um, But the fundamentals that are going to, you know, make the economy and make corporations uh, their profitability strong. Talk to us about those. I said before about, you know, we talked about the 1930s and we talked about all the infrastructure that went on that had big productivity paybacks. So mm-hmm. what we're calling stimulus today, it's not real stimulus. Whether, you know, we're basically, the government is paying companies, I'm gonna pay you so that you don't fire your people in the next two months. How creative is that? Uh, and we're giving right. out uh, checks to people uh, who were forced to lock down through no fault of their own, but that's that's not stimulus. That doesn't produce productivity, doesn't produce growth, it just basically is a bridge income assistance program to get you to the other side. And all we're right. going to be left with is a massive fiscal deficit that someone is going to have to pay for down the road. Oh, you see, those aren't the things we're talking about right now, but those are the things we'll be talking about tomorrow. It's a, it's a transfer from the public sector on borrowed money uh, to the private sector to get us through this period of time. But there is going to be a significant payback down the road. And my contention is that enjoy this rally while it lasts, but we will not be able to sustain 
a 23 price earnings multiple uh, in the future of what's going to be a payback for all the fiscal large debt that's been put into the system today just to keep try and keep things as stable as possible. If there are you know, gigantic uh, fiscal deficits, how are those going to be paid for? And so you're saying that corporations which you know had a, a big tax cut uh, in 2009 to 2018, that they're going to be paying. So that's going to affect their profit margins that high net worth individuals, high income uh, individuals, they're gonna be paying. Uh, those are, that's the primary investment class. I mean, so are you saying we're, we're seeing a fundamental change in the dynamics of both stock returns and, uh, and the demand for stocks? Or you, you, you tell me what the change is gonna be that, that is, it is not gonna be favorable uh, to Wall Street and investors. Well, there's just so much uncertainty right now. Uh, And I said before, look, a vaccine to a large extent is a game changer, but I just don't know. I know know the history of vaccines is that it usually takes four years, not four months (laughs) to come up with one. And most of the time it's over something a lot less complicated uh, than the coronavirus, you know, which we found out this is not like some sort of flu. Really, we're talking about, uh, you know, a world going forward uh, where there's going to have to be a payback. Uh, and yes, the payback will come at higher taxes on capital. Uh, that means that all these people that say, well, uh, I, I, I'm buying stocks because uh, uh, I'm using the price earnings multiple on a normalized curve. So after all, the stock market's a long duration asset. And uh, this pandemic and the lockdown uh, gave a, a shock for a quarter or two, but didn't really impair the long-term 10 or 15 year earnings curve. Well, I say to these people, well, be, you know, think about who's gonna pay for these deficits. And mm-hmm. it is going to be the corporate sector that's gonna pay a big part of it. I think especially if the Democrats win in November, you can kiss the 2018 corporate tax relief goodbye. And mm-hmm. there's gonna be a lot more regulation. There is a non-trivial chance that the Democrats do take the White House and the and the executive branches and the legislative branches in the next election. And that is going to be a big game changer in the other way. No matter what happens with the vaccine, there's going to be some big changes in terms of taxation on capital, in terms of redistribution of income, in terms of regulation. And And you're saying that's not priced into the market at all right not now. Not a chance. That possibility. It's interesting that you, that you say that because after Labor Day, we're going to get a lot of answers to questions. After right now, the the stock market has laid down its cards. It's told you what they're expecting. If we don't hear, you know, some great announcement on a vaccine by Labor Day, because that is really what the market's telling you. That is this powerful, you know, tradable. I still say bear market rally. We don't get mm-hmm. some sort of announcement by Labor Day. The market's going to get pretty antsy, and I think that's when the markets start to pay attention to the uh, the election, which again is a major source of uncertainty. Another question that you've raised to clients in your reports, which I, I you know loved, is who is buying equities? Because and and you explain when you look at the figures, the flows of money uh, that you know retail investors have been buying bonds, and and you said something cute is you know is is that UJ as in Jerome Powell? Um, the Fed chairman. Well, uh, what's happened very recently uh, is that uh, the hedge funds, if you go to the commitment of trades report uh, that come out weekly, uh, that there was a dramatic uh, net short position uh, being built up 
on the uh, S&P 500 in the uh, futures and options pits. Uh, in ah. fact, the net short position had reached its highest level in four years. So I think that, firstly, short covering, uh, and that's when we talked about, when I talked about a bear market rally before, yeah, who are the buyers? And, and, and in a normal rally, you have flows you can identify. Uh, but this is a short covering rally. And on top of that, there's no sellers. There's no sellers. People are just too scared to sell stock. And I think it comes down to what you said. You know, when you hear over and over again, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed. When people see, oh, well, the Fed has actually went in and said they're going to buy high-yield bonds. Right. Well, high-yield bonds reside right next to the equity market and the capital structure. So I get the question all the time, do you think they'll ever buy equities? So, you know, you, you get that mindset. What's the outlook for corporate profits, which u- usually has something to do with stock market performance? The bulls will tell you that they don't believe the long-term profits trend line has been impaired. They believe that's what's been lost now uh, is going to be made up for in the future and that there's been no impairment. Of course, you know, earnings are going down easily, you know, 40%. Uh, the uh, mm-hmm. downgrades have sure. been dramatic, uh, and uh, and I think the decline could be even more than that. And then on top of that, we're not going to have that, call it artificial support anymore, from share buybacks. So the market is actually telling you that it believes that the bulls are right, uh, that the 10-year or 15-year normalized earnings curve is not going to be impaired. But you know what was very interesting in that regard is the CBO, uh, it was this is like a gift, a gift from God, was the CBO's revised forecast uh, right, that they provided everybody, yep. yeah, just the other day. But what do they, what do they tell you? Well, they did tell you, look, we're in the eye of the storm. They're not forecasting an ongoing detonation of the economy. Nothing's going to zero. But it's very interesting to see their forecast on GDP uh, is that we don't end up recouping all the decline in the economy benchmarked against the pre-pandemic trajectory till 2028. Uh, so tell oh, me, my goodness, so, yeah. So so tell me, tell me again how that uh, how that long term earnings curve doesn't get affected by what already happened. And and I think that there is going to be there are going to be aftershocks. Uh, like I said earlier, I think the big risk is that demand is going to come back very slowly, and uh, not and a lot of companies aren't going to survive. I've actually run my own estimates, and I found uh, that at least ten million of the people that got unemployed, 10 million uh, of the unemployed uh, are not going to be coming back to find another job. Maybe some will find a job in other industries, but as I said, these are low-skilled, largely uneducated, low-value-added. I don't know what else they'll be able to do. Uh, You see, that's the thing, is that in the 1930s, they keep on coming back there. Uh, You know, we worked with our hands. You know, Mm-hmm. America made things, and so it's going to be very problematic to have a situation where 10 million people uh, are going to uh, uh, not have a job to go back to. It's going to be a deadweight drag on the economy and society for a long period of time. It's going to be a major social problem. Uh, and so that's another risk that I think that's out there is what does it mean? I mean, you're talking about almost 10% of private sector employment is not going to be coming back. And you're telling me that there's no effect of that on earnings in the future. Of course there is. Where are investors most at risk in, in the market? This this so-called uh, reflationary value trade uh, 
has me a little concerned that there's a little too much whippiness. I can understand that. So in in small cap stocks, for instance? Small caps, the the financials, uh, you know, the basic materials, the industrials, the transports, the a lot of the consumer cyclicals. Look at the the casinos have been ripping. Uh, And uh, so a a lot of the beaten down stuff has really come back a lot. Now, part of this, I think, is short covering. But part of it recently is this view that we're getting some sort of V-shaped recovery. Well, I got news for you. If you believe in the V-shaped recovery, if you believe in the V-shaped recovery, these are probably the stocks that you're going to want to own. Uh, we can only mm-hmm. get a V-shaped recovery with a vaccine, and it would stand to reason, well, you know what, if we get a vaccine, hey, I'll go back, I'll fly again, I'll go to the restaurants, I'll go to the theme parks, uh, I'll go to the casinos, uh, I'll start to gather in crowds again, and so that's why, you know, these uh, this reopening trade uh, is morphing into a V-shaped recovery trade, and so the deep cyclicals, or what you call the value-oriented stocks, are starting to play uh, a lot of catch-up. I think that it's gone too far too fast. My biggest worry right now is that is that the the value prop the the value proposition seems to be gone a little too far for my liking. All of a sudden, in this last leg of this, uh, you can call it bull market if you want, bear market rally. It's been one heck of a ride. I've got to say, over a short time period, the market's telling me a vaccine is coming, not at the end of the year, not next year, that it's coming by the end of the summer. Okay. And so that's, okay. I think, what the pricing mechanism is. And by the way, if we get a vaccine, uh, it's going to be very bullish. Of course, then we're going to move on to the next thing, uh, which is going to be the U.S. election. And the question is, well, if everything's hunky-dory, uh, you know, what does this do to the President Trump's uh, election prospects? And, and that'll be a, another major risk because the president does have uh, a track record he has to defend this time around that he didn't have to defend last time around. One of the things I know that uh, that you know we think about here on Wealthtrack is long-term investing, and you think that there have been significant changes uh, in the economy. Uh, number one, in the way we view spending, frugality, that there are a lot of uncertainties, and that there are a lot of secular changes that could be occurring. So, w- where do you see opportunities in the markets? Right. Well, if any. Know, well, we, well, well, there are going to be some significant uh, opportunities. And so when I talk about the overall market, that doesn't mean that there aren't, uh, that doesn't mean I can't build my own portfolio, you know, which I've right. done. So I'm not zero weight equities. Uh, I, I can't say that if I was measured against a pension fund, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't be overweight. Um, but I really invest more. My asset mix reflects uh, thematics. You know, after close to three months of isolation and uh, social distancing and quarantining, uh, as a society, we learned a great deal uh, about ourselves. Um, you know, when you're taking a look at what what are the things people bought during the lockdown period, say, you know, beyond just, you know, canned soup uh, and uh, Netflix and booze, uh, you know, one of the biggest selling items were bread makers. Uh, I guess that would make Martha Stewart very happy. Uh, you know, bicycles, <laughs> jigsaw puzzles, um and uh, uh, you know, um, auto parts actually did very well for retail. Uh, so all of a huh. sudden, we became a little bit of a do-it-yourselfer society. We learned to do things uh, on our own. You've called your portfolio one of your themes is is that the homebody economy the, investments. Yeah. The ho- so explain is is that like a major right. theme of yours? Yes, yeah, it, it is. And 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 so what it basically says is that you want to buy. You want to you want to invest in things that we need, 
not things that we want. It comes down also to the knowing how lopsided this economy is, <laughs> that uh, shutting down the non-essential economy was 80% of GDP. We have to restructure that and, and make more of what we do essential. So what I'm saying is buy essentials. Buy companies that have essential or I would say utility-like characteristics. You know, could you argue after everything we just found out that Microsoft has utility characteristics? Yeah, I think you probably can. Uh, Amazon mm -hmm. or any company that has that can copy Amazon's business model to varying extents. Certainly, that's a utility. Uh, maybe you can argue that Google's a utility. So you see what I'm saying here is that the distinction is now blurred. Yes. We all, we talk about the 11 gig sectors and the S&P 500, but they're also blurred right now because there are a lot of very interesting defensive growth, utility-like characteristics that exist in the tech sector. I would prefer the utilities if I'm looking for, say, yield. Uh, I think there's probably greater earnings visibility in the utilities industry than there is, say, in the financials industry, which is going to be decimated for years to come from a zero rate environment and a flat yield curve. There's just no earnings visibility there. Uh, you know, one other area and we got to look at is healthcare. Now, there's always mm -hmm. a risk, you know, how will the Democrats treat healthcare? But I do think that, um, you know, when you take a look at biotech or pharma, I mean, they become they become the solution. And so I think, I think mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, a lot of the regulatory red tape, look how quickly look how quickly they're moving to, you know, phase two and phase three clinical trials. I mean, this has never happened before that quickly. Well, so I think that you could, uh, you could, you can argue that uh, the healthcare industry uh, is going to be re-rated uh, with less of a regulatory discount uh, going forward as well. So I would say that med tech, uh, biotech, those will be sectors, I think, that you'd also want to have in your portfolio. And again, Dave, you know, you're talking about secular changes. These are not just, uh, you know, temporary, impermanent shifts. You're saying that, that there is a, a sensibility shift. There are a lot of th changes going on that's going to mean that it's going to be a very different environment uh, as far as the economy is concerned and also as far as the investment climate is concerned. Absolutely. I, I think that e even though you could argue this was a short shock, uh, we learned a great deal in the three months of this lockdown we and the pandemic. We learned a great deal. As I said earlier, over half American households did not have sufficient savings to get through three months of a lockdown. Mm. That says a lot right there. So how people are going to be treating their savings and then how they're going to be treating their spending. I think there's going to be a fundamental shift away from really the years of conspicuous consumption uh, towards just more thoughtful budgeting. Uh, plus the fact that everybody learned how to cook. Uh, people learned how to cut their own hair. Think about that. I know people that cut their own hair. Uh, people who I knew never looked at a cookbook in their life for making lasagna. So uh, with or without uh, social distancing coming to an end or a vaccine, uh, maybe by virtue of the fact that we learned about ourselves as homebodies, that we can actually do things on our own at the margin you know, going out to eat is fun. Make no mistake about it. I mean, everybody loves it, so do I. But at the margin, now that you know how to cook yourself, you may just do it less. Uh, you know, now that you learned how to sew, maybe you don't go out and buy that sweater. You'll just do a lot of repair work at home, so on and so forth. There's no question in my mind, taking a look at one of the big sellers was bicycles. Uh, so I think mm -hmm. the auto industry is going to be, I mean, and, and how do people are approach going back to work? 
That's something else. With or without a vaccine, something else is fundamentally going to change is work from home. Work from home is going to be a new growth industry. So anything related to wiring up your office, uh, anything related to the utilities that you need uh, to work from home, uh, that's not going away. Uh, that has negative implications for commercial real estate, uh, but it might have positive implications for other things uh, like having your office set up, uh, what it could mean for uh, you know home improvement, uh, so there's offsets here. It's really almost like a pair trade. The biggest secular shift will be that we created a new cottage industry, which is working from home. A lot more of us are going to be doing it in the future than would have been the case pre-pandemic. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. Do you want to help us with a homebody economy pick? If I had to pick a, a homebody type of uh, utility characteristic, uh, and I'm not going to get into specific companies uh, because uh, I can't do that. Uh, but I would right. say I would say that delivery services are going to continue to be a place that you want to invest in. All right, we'll leave it there. Dave Rosenberg, thank you so much for joining us for a thoughtful uh, and thought-provoking interview, as always. Thank you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider some homebody economy investments. Rosenberg's thesis that we are transitioning permanently into a more frugal homebody economy has some merit. Among his list of beneficiaries, which we will have on our website, are home office technologies, think the cloud, telecommunications, utilities, food suppliers, and some of our go-to diversifiers, gold and treasuries. These include some basic services which have staying power in challenging economic times. In this week's extra feature, Rosenberg tells us what lasting changes he is making because of the pandemic. To see this program again and hear previous WealthTrack interviews with Dave Rosenberg and other financial thought leaders, please go to our website, WealthTrack.com, and keep connecting with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable and productive one.